get into the Word, I'd like you to open your Bibles today. I'm not going to take up too much of your time because God's already done some awesome things, but I, I'd like us to read from primarily two places in Scripture, possibly three. Um, and I'd like to bring some things to your remembrance. It's good to have Pastor Jack with us here. If you don't know Jack, Jack Smith, you don't know Jack, that's funny. If you don't know Pastor Smith, <laughs> he's, uh, he's been a faithful uh, minister amongst uh, primarily First Nations people, but not just that, uh, in, in, in this part of the country, and so we're thankful to have him this morning. He's not afraid to sit on the front row, thank God. But uh, I'd like to stir your remembrance up here. Uh, in the spring, we had an evangelist who primarily ministers in northern Africa, and he came and ministered to us a word from the Lord. And um, it's not uncommon for an evangelist or a traveling minister to have kind of a, a message in the holster that everywhere they go, they pull it out. But one thing we're thankful for is that the people that God's brought us here tend to be the kind of people that are going to say, I don't just have a favorite message. What does God have for this church today? And... Uh, what Brother Mark brought um, from the Lord, I believe, was prophetic for our church at the time, and I believe we needed to hear it. And uh, if you'll recall, that first message that he preached, I think, was hopefully one that we didn't let slide by, because he talked about the woman with the issue of blood who had to leave something, who had to make a decision that she was going and she had to let go of some things so that she could grab on to Jesus. She had to leave her home so that she could go where he was. And so he talked about letting go of some things so that you can grab on to something else. And I believe there was a reason that he said that to us. And I want to stir your, your memory up so that you don't forget these things that God has said. And uh, we're going to go uh, this morning uh, to the book of Mark, if you could. And... Um, as we go to the book of Mark, I like to read uh, in chapter 1 about John the Baptist. And as you know, John the Baptist was sent to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel, uh, to prepare the way of the Lord as the voice of Elijah. The same spirit that Elijah came in, John the Baptist came in to prepare the way of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, the greatest preacher the world has ever known, the, the greatest minister the world has ever known, that Jesus had to have someone go before him to prepare the way because there were hearts that needed to be ready for what he was going to bring. We think that if we just show up at the right place at the right time, that if somebody ministers effectively enough, if they're, if they're maybe good enough of a preacher, if they're powerful enough in their, in their calling that God has given them, which is really his calling, that maybe if they do it with enough pizzazz or power or oomph, or maybe if they're anointed enough, that it'll snap us out of wherever we are and it will uh, launch us into wherever we need to be. And thank God that does happen. But the truth is, there are those that come prepared and there are those that come unprepared. And thank God, God is merciful. There are times when I've been unprepared and uh, he met me where I was. 
But there are plenty of times when we know that God is wanting to do something in our midst. And he's always doing things in our midst, right? He's a living God. But we know that there are, there are some changes coming, or we know that there's uh, deeper places to go. And in order for that to happen, there needs to be a preparation in our hearts. There needs to probably be some things laid down so that some things can be picked up. When John the Baptist came, from the moment he was born, it was prophesied over him that he would be this voice calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In Mark chapter 1, it says in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In another gospel and another account, John the Baptist himself quotes this and said, Make straight paths in your heart. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus came with a message for them, But first, they had to prepare their hearts for something. And here's what John came to say in verse 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, that's a radical idea because they're still in the Old Covenant. So it's a radical idea in, in a covenant where it required that blood be shed For the remission of sins. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's no remission of sins. Uh, In the old covenant, you had to to kill an animal. You had to do these things. And yet, all of a sudden, God sends a messenger, and he says, if you get dunked underwater, something's going to change. Now, they never had this before. Baptism wasn't a thing they did, and John the Baptist just brought it back. This was new. Can you imagine I mean, maybe you, maybe you can imagine, because maybe when you got born again, you never heard of anybody being baptized. Some, maybe some of you grew up in a, in a tradition that, that merely sprinkled your forehead when you were a baby or, or something like that, and, and you were quite shocked to find out that, that uh, you know, people were getting dunked underwater. And, you know, maybe you went to a, a church that believed the longer you dunked them, the more sanctified they were. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But the truth is, this was something new, and it was something uh, that was for a specific period of time. When we're baptized today, we've got a baptism service coming up in two weeks. This is not the same sort of baptism. The ones that are being baptized have already received Jesus. His blood has cleansed them of their unrighteousness. And so baptism still is important. But it's, a, it's different than the baptism of John because John said, I baptize for this, but there's one coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Here's what he says. He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There are two words for repentance in the New Testament that are used that are translated repentance. One means to turn. Another means to change your mind. John was preaching that something had to change in the way they thought in the way they walked, because God himself was coming. And the old ways of thinking and the old traditional things that they'd done and the rituals, they had to snap out of it so that they could prepare themselves for something totally different, for something totally new. And in fact, they had slid so far from God's plan for them. They had slid into some 
empty, dead religion, a shell of what God intended. Sure, there were still some men like Simeon, women like Anna the prophetess, who still held true and and still had that burning in them. But for the most part, the, the nation of Israel, because of their religious leaders, had fallen into a place of slumber. And here comes this crazy guy that grew up. It says he grew up in the wilderness. We know his parents were really old when he was born. There's a good chance they died when he was young. And it says from the time he was a boy, he grew up in the wilderness. I've said this before, but it's very likely that that young John just simply remembered, this is what the Lord has said. This is what my dad said God said. This is what I know about myself. I don't know much, but I do know I'm the guy that's supposed to be in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. So I don't know where to live, but I guess I'm supposed to go to the wilderness. Jesus said, I don't know what you expected when when John came. Did you expect to find someone dressed in fine robes with eloquent speech? You find those kind of people in king's palaces. He said, this was a different fellow for a different time. John did not come with polished speech. He didn't smell good. He didn't look good. He shocked you. And as I've said before, some, some of us are just so tender, so fragile, that, that if, a, if a guest speaker comes and, and is a little bit uh, different, or, or you know you go to a meeting somewhere and somebody's just, just uh, shaking you out of your comfort zone a little bit, he, he, he made you get up on your feet and do something, we get nervous because we're a little concerned that, that this guy's making me feel weird. Can you imagine how weird you would have felt if crazy man from the desert comes, eating locusts and honey, smelling terrible, wearing fur that he skinned himself, and he's not, you know, Chanel or anything. He's just (laughs) skinning an animal. This'll do, putting it on himself. And then he comes to you. He's yelling in your face, you need to repent. I didn't know there was anything to repent of. Oh, there is. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to repent, and then I'm going to hold you under the water for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, okay, let's do that. That's my favorite preacher. I've often wondered, why were were such crowds with John the Baptist? You'd think he would repel people. But the reason is, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are people that will always be drawn to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is always drawing people. Because God loved those people enough that he prepared their hearts for what was coming. Of course, the religious leaders showed up because it was the thing to do. It became fashionable to go to a John the Baptist meeting. They start showing up at the water, saying, oh, let's get baptized. And he says, he calls them out. Because repentance is not an action. It's not a, it's not one, you know, it's not a five minutes at the altar crying. Repentance is truly turning. He said to the Pharisees, he said, you brood of vipers. He said, he called them out for the frauds they were. And he said, bear fruits in accordance with repentance. Which means, if you've truly changed your way, if you've truly turned from this way to follow the true and living God, if you've truly laid these things aside that I'm telling you to lay aside, then we'll be able to see it because there'll be fruits that come from that. When you change your mind, you can see it. But he said, as for you guys, you just hear. You just hear so that people see you. And he refused to have anything to do with them. But what mercy did God show to these sinners 
these dirty, sinful people. And he says, I'm giving you a clean slate. And as he preached this message, it says in verse 5, And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed, clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thank God. We have to understand something here. This was the echoes of a covenant to come right at the tail end of the old covenant. And when Jesus hit the scene, everything changed. Thank God that's the covenant we live under right now. I want to just think about that, though. We know that Jesus has come. We know that he is not, uh, he's, he's not uh, changing his mind, that he's come, he's accepted you, he's received you, and we know that he's coming again. What about these things that God desires to do in our midst and desires to do in our life? Is it possible that there are times in our life where we have to change our way of thinking, where we have to change our, our attitude, where we have to change our mind about something to prepare and, and, and get, get our hearts prepared and ready for what God's about to do. Because here's the deal. A lot of the things that God wants to do in us and in our families and at our work are radical. They're not anything you would have done on your own. They're not anything you would have come up with on your own. They're things that he has ordained and he has for you that you couldn't even imagine. And so in order to think that way, you've got to allow your system to be a little shocked. And I don't mean in a bad way, but I mean in a good way. You've got to imagine that he might just want you to think totally different. He might want you to talk totally different. He might want your schedule to be totally different. He might want your life to have to kind of shift. Isn't it funny that, uh, you know, we get born again and we assume that the only change to our schedule is that now we've got to go somewhere on Sunday morning? When in reality, your whole life changes. And nothing is the same if you really let them run it. Nothing is the same. Your goals are different. Your point of living is different. Wouldn't that change something? I'd like to read to you from the first chapter of Jeremiah. And I love this chapter. Jeremiah faces some of the questions that we've faced before. Things like, will anybody listen to me? I'm too young. Who am I to say these things? And God is very... Uh, forceful in how he speaks to Jeremiah and that he can't keep going on thinking that he's unworthy to speak what God called him to speak. The truth is, whatever God's called you to, you are, in your own strength, not qualified. But in his strength, you are more than qualified. Jeremiah is a young man, and it says in verse 4 of chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, 
I consecrated you, which means I set you apart for a task, for a purpose. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And what's so interesting about that is he primarily spoke to the people of Israel and Judah. And yet God said, I've called you to the nations. And perhaps we know that Jeremiah was around when the people were in, went into exile, but we also know that his words are sp still speaking to the nations today. He said, I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. Then the Lord said, came to me in second time and said, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north, the evil will break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. And he goes on, but I, I want to stop here for a moment. And see what God said to him about the words he had already put in his mouth. He didn't say, Jeremiah, someday I'm going to put some words in your mouth. At the right time, I'll put the words in your mouth. He said, I already have put the words in your mouth. And what's so interesting is that God gave him two types of things to say. In various different forms, he said, first of all, I have appointed you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms. He said, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Did you notice that there are six words used there? And four out of the six are talking about plucking up, breaking down, destroying. And two of them are building and planting. That's important. Now, it doesn't mean that Jeremiah was called as prophet destructo to come and just wreck people's lives. That's, that's not what God wanted. And God so loved the nation of Israel that he sent Jeremiah. But there were things that needed to be destroyed. Not people, but things. There were attitudes. There were thoughts. There, were, um, there was stuff that needed to be plucked up before something could be planted. You only have so much real estate in your soul. Now, when I say your soul, I mean your mind, your will, your emotions. You only have so much real estate there, and there are times where we, we got born again, our spirit was made new, it was, it was instantly clean and holy, and uh, we're still got this mind that the Bible says needs to be renewed by the word. It needs to be renewed. Did you notice when you got born again, you didn't all of a sudden just know everything? You didn't all of a sudden think all the right things? that you still had to fight some battles. You still had to change some of your habits, right? Boy, wouldn't it be nice if when you get born again, all your, all your bad habits become good habits instantly. But it didn't happen. But, you know, God may have delivered you 
I've heard plenty of stories where people were delivered from addictions right then. There are a lot of things, though, you've got to just stick to the word and, and renew that mind so that it matches what's already been done in your spirit. You see, when you got born again, you were made a child of God. You were made clean. You were made holy. You were made righteous. Now your brain's got to match that. You've got to start thinking differently. You've got to start walking differently because you are different Not walking different so you can be different, but because you already are different, because you are a child of God, because you are light in the Lord. Now let's walk as light. Here's what he says. He says, I've appointed you this day over the nations, young man, over the kingdoms. We may not realize, I I met with a group of pastors um, this week, this last Tuesday, and we We met at the old church that's on the Bar Colony grounds right now, the first church in Lloydminster. And we talked about some of the beginnings of this city, some of the beginnings of the church, and um, the beginnings of the city and the beginning of the church are pretty closely tied together in this city. And along with the good things that you might think from that, there were some bad things. From the very beginning, there was strife. From the very beginning, there was racism. From the very beginning there was a distrust from the very beginning. There was rebellion. And we talked about the fact that uh, this is our city. And perhaps the Lord has called us to, yes, plant and to build, but perhaps the Lord has also called us to tear some things down which have been here for too long. Before we get so big in our preaching today, I want you to, Yes, think about the city, but I'd rather you think for, first of all, about your own life. And think about the things that God is so loving that he wants to pluck up that have been there for too long. There are things that you need to get rid of to make room. Do you know I'm not just talking about sinful things? Thank God. (laughs) Thank God he's cleaning us up from that stuff. But you notice in Hebrews 12, it talks about the race that we're running. And it says, letting letting go of every sin and entanglement, every heavy weight that so easily entangles us. It says sin and weight which entangles us, which means that this is not just about sin. It's about the things that slow you down from running the race. There are things that that it's just time to let go of. You know, if we hear this in the wrong attitude, you could be condemned. You could hear this and you could say, I knew it. I knew I wasn't doing enough. I knew, I just, every time I, I just, I, I think I'm doing good, and I find out I'm not doing enough. But you're hearing it wrong if you're hearing that. What you need to be hearing is, God's not done with me, and there's always somewhere deeper to go. Do you ever, did you ever say growing up, I knew it. I knew I wasn't tall. I grew an inch last summer, and yet I'm still not tall enough, apparently, because you think I'm going to grow more. I thought I did so good. I thought you'd be proud of me from graduating from sixth grade, but now you make me go to seventh grade. Now, maybe you did say that. The truth is, it's a good thing that we keep growing. It's a good thing that there's always higher to go, that we're not done yet. It's a wonderful thing that the Apostle Paul, who could have said, I know more than all of you, was able to say, I still am not done yet. I'm still pressing. I'm not there yet. I still have further to go. 
Because the moment that he said, I am done, what happened? It was time to go home and be with Jesus. There's no point being here if I'm done. Chop my head off is what he said. Maybe not in those words. I've called you. I've appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms. Wow. What authority does a believer have? We think, we think that, that our destiny as a nation, as people, rises and falls with government, rises and falls with media. But the truth of the matter is if the church just realized what's already in their mouth, they just realized the authority that God has given them as citizens of heaven. But he says this, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. You see, that's ultimately God's goal and his desire is to build and to plant. But you know as well as I do, if you buy a house and you plan to plant a beautiful garden, and you look in the backyard and there's tires, you look in the backyard and there's gravel, you look in the backyard and there are weeds, that in order for you to plant a garden, you've got to get rid of some stuff first. You can try, you can go back there and just start throwing seeds around and maybe you'll have a potato spring up between the hubcaps. But you won't have the garden you really could have or should have. There are things that require us to let God examine us and say, God, are there some things I need to change my mind on? Are there some things I need to shift? Are there things that I need to go? Because we say, God, I've been crying out to you I've been calling out for revival in my family. I've been asking you to stir me up. I've been asking you to, to show me what I'm supposed to do with my life. But the truth is, you have no room in your life sometimes. I'm not talking to anybody specifically. This is what I found. I tell, I tell the Lord, God, I want everything you have for me. But here's my schedule. Can you find a spot? You may have to slip in between the shower and breakfast. I have that free. In fact, if you could do it while I'm in the shower, that'd be great. Just talk to me, speak to me. Maybe I can get a waterproof Bible or something that I can. Perhaps there are things that need to shift to make room. Christmas time, we sing that beautiful song, Joy to the World. I love that song. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. And we've said that before. There are times where we need to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow in order to build and to plant. First in our own lives and then in our community and then in our nation. I know on Wednesday nights we've been going through 2 Corinthians and we will eventually come to 2 Corinthians 10. But if I can cheat a little bit and skip ahead, can we go there real quick? 2 Corinthians 10. And when we get there on a Wednesday night, I trust you won't just shut your brain off and say, I already heard this. That we'll be able to read the same thing twice. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is going to be very familiar to many of you. 
Apostle Paul writes this, for though we walk, in verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. It may surprise you, but our number one weapon as Christians are not petitions, are not good marketing campaigns. It's not the same methods the world uses. There are things that happen in prayer that can't happen any other way. There are things that happen when a believer takes their stand that couldn't happen through any other channel. We think, oh, Lord, we got to get, we got to get this politician, we got to get this petition. You know what you need? You need to get on your knees with your brothers and sisters and say, let's handle some things in prayer. You say, well, if God wanted to do it, wouldn't he do it? Our sovereign God has chosen to use his people. And he says things like, the prayer of a righteous person has much effect. Jesus said, if two or three agree touching anything in my name, they'll have what they've asked for. Peter was ready to be executed. It said Herod intended to do the same thing to Peter that he did to James, which was decapitate him. And it says, but, in other words, but is telling me that the one thing that stopped it was this next phrase, but the church was fervently praying for him. Sometimes we just say, well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. He has already done the work that needs to be done for us to stand in our place as ambassadors of Jesus Christ that bear his name and pray in the name of Jesus for us to take a stand and take some authority in our land and say, okay, this isn't okay. Look what he says. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful. Another translation says, mighty before God for the destruction of of fortresses. Another translation says pulling down of strongholds. If you look at this word fortresses, it's something that has been there for a while. That's what makes it a fortress. That's what makes it a stronghold. It's been there for a while. It's built up. It's taken its place. It thinks it owns that spot. You know, if you lived in England and you walked by the same castle every day, Pretty soon, you'd forget as, as much as when we go over there, and we go, wow, that's beautiful. After a while, you'd get used to the castle. You'd just say, well, it's there. Do you remember when the border markers first went up? Some with horror, some with joy. I remember when they promised lasers. I was let down. I remember sitting in Arby's and thinking, this is not a safe place to sit right now on a windy day. But, you know, they fixed these problems, thank God. You know, but we used to, I remember just looking at them every time. You know, I drive that way every now and then, and I don't pay them much mind at all. Do you remember the first time? Boy, we're going to sound like hicks here, but do you remember the first time that we got a uh, 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 Tele- big giant like billboard that was like a television screen and people would just stop at the red light and forget there was a green light because they're just watching it and all it was doing was running ads for the local news but it was the coolest thing in the world to us but now you don't even notice it the thing about strongholds is they give off the air that they belong and it takes a believer with a renewed mind to say, no, 
Not in my family, not in my community, not in my nation, not in my own heart. Peter, in his first message to the new converts, it says, pleaded with them, urged them with many urgings, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. He didn't preach at that moment, be saved from hell. He'd already preached that message. Now he's telling them, be saved from a wicked and twisted generation. Why? Because if you grew up in that generation, you begin to think this is all normal. And the Lord wants to save you and deliver you from the old way of thinking. And you begin to look around and say, wait a second. There are things I've seen all my life and I thought they were okay. I thought this was always going to be this way. I've just resigned myself that that's the way it is. But it doesn't have to be that way. What if, what if for the things that God wants to do in this city, in this church, in your family, what if he's got something wonderful to build, something amazing to plant, but first something must be destroyed, something's got to be torn down? Have you ever considered it? Because we can spend a lot of time saying, Lord, send revival. Lord, send the rain. Lord, send all these things. And I believe he will. He is, he is faithful to his word. He withholds nothing from you. But what if before that happens, there needs to be some room made for it? Maybe an old building needs to be torn down before something new can be built up. Maybe in our own lives there are things, because let's, well, you know, before I go into that, let's keep reading this. They're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What, do those for, what are these fortresses? You think the Apostle Paul was actually talking about Roman strongholds? No. He said we are destroying speculations. What are speculations? They're thought patterns. They're the way people tend to think about things. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God which means it's in our human nature. I'm talking about the fallen nature. I'm not talking about the the new creation. It's in the human fallen nature to take on that pride that says, we know best. We don't need anybody else. We got this. It's in our humanist, secular society to say, we don't need God. In fact, we're better off without that stuff. So that we are destroying speculations. How in the world are you doing that, Paul? Destroying speculations. How do you destroy speculations? Well, he did it first and foremost by preaching the gospel, opening his mouth with the word of God, which is way more powerful than, than any of those other thoughts and any of those words. Jeremiah, how is he going to pluck up? How is he going to destroy God told him, I've put my words in your mouth. I'm sure prayer has a big part to play in this. We're destroying every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And and we've been taught, and and not wrongly, but we've been taught that that that's talking about us. We've got to take these thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. But in context, he's not talking about his own thoughts. 
He's talking about going into communities. He's talking about going into churches and changing the way they think, totally destroying the old patterns of thought, the old patterns of behavior by saying, this is God's way. Let's go higher. We've been seated in heavenly places. We've been raised up. Let's keep our mind on things above and not on the things beneath. It's going to take radical change of mind. Change of heart and change of thought. This is not a complex message today, but it's vital. That may I submit to you that there are things God wants to do in your life, and you think that you may have thought, well, what's God waiting for? I don't think God's waiting for anything. From what I read in the New Testament, Those that came to Jesus were healed. Those that came to Jesus were delivered. Those that came to hear the apostles speak were set free. I never see an instance where a blind man comes to Jesus and Jesus says, come back in a year. You never see somebody demon-possessed and he says, we've got to wait for this one. You need to live with it a little bit longer. You never see a city that cries out for the gospel that God said, I just, I just don't, I don't think now's your time. It's not God that's holding back. It's not God that's waiting. I've preached this before, and you know that. But it's not God that's holding something back from you. He freely gives. He is freely poured out. He has given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. It's now Up to you to say, I want it. And if you want it, prepare room. There have been ways that I've thought for a long time, whether it's my thoughts about God, whether it's my thoughts about the culture, whether it's my thoughts about myself, that have been in my thinking for so long that I forgot that that it's there. Just, you know, the way your brain works. When you first think of a thought for the first time, it's, it's shocking. It, it, you think of it in a different way. But your brain is an amazing thing. And the more you do something and the more you think certain ways, your brain has the capacity to move certain patterns and habits and behaviors to a different part of the brain. It moves from this certain part where you're having to think about it to you do it enough times, it moves to a different part of the brain where it's just wired in there. You don't have to think about it as much. You know, when I first had to play, when I first got to play guitar in praise and worship, I started out on the bass. And I remember the whole time, during every song, it was just hanging on for dear life. And I was just looking at the guitar and trying to look at the music and look at the guitar at the same time. And there was just this feeling of like, God, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. And you just, you know, if somebody were to say, hey, Jonathan. Oh, that just blew it. Oh, now i got to start all over. But you know, I've been playing enough now. You can look around. You can talk to somebody. You can do something else at the same time because it's kind of hardwired in. There are people that have got brain damage that they can't walk. There are some that can't talk anymore because they've been brain damaged, but they can still play music because they've done it enough times. It got moved to a different part of their brain. 
And all I'm saying is this. There are things that you've thought for too long. There are things that we've just said, well, I just guess this is the way it is. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's in your own life, your own heart. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's something about our culture. Maybe it's something about our city. Maybe it's something about our nation. And you've just thought, well, that's the way it always has been. It's the way it will always be. But I challenge you, what would it look like if it wasn't there? And what could be planted in its place? Because God is not a God that merely destroys. He is a God that plants and gives life. That's why as believers, our goal, our end game, our finish line is not just to destroy the bad stuff, but to say, God, what would you plant in its place? See, once you ask that question, you've got a reason to tear something down. God, what do you want to plant here? What do you want to build here? And it, God, if you want to build something, maybe I've got to tear something down. Maybe I've got to make some room. Maybe I've got to get on my knees and say, this is not okay anymore. I grew up thinking it was okay, but it's not. I've thought this way about myself for so long, I believed it. I thought this was who I am. But then God says, that's not who you are. Allow me to tear up that old thought. Allow me to tear down that stronghold because it's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. There are some people that have lived their life with such low self-esteem and when they get born again, they shift that thought. They, they no longer seem to struggle with the same things, but, but in the back of their mind, it's still there. And that way of looking at yourself like you used to look at yourself, still is lacking something major. It's lacking God in the equation. It's exalting itself against the knowledge of God because the knowledge of God informs you that you are not who you used to be and that you are not, the, the life you live, you live in Christ, that you are now hidden in him, that he is in you and you in him, and you can't think of yourself like you used to think. If you've got a spouse or a dad or a mom, brother, sister, cousin, you gave up on them a while ago, or maybe you, you haven't given up on them in so many words. Maybe your confession to others is they're coming to Jesus. But the truth is you don't push it like you used to push it. You don't pray like you used to pray. You just say, well, it's kind of the way they are. We just put up with it at Thanksgiving. I, my prayer for you is that you dream again. That you let God dream through you. There are strongholds that have got to come down so that something can be built in their place. There are things that need to be torn down so that a way would be prepared for the Lord. And John came saying this, every mountain will be laid low Every valley will be raised up. And a level path will be made for the Lord. And there are mountains in our lives that have stood there for too long. Mountains. When's the last time you looked at a mountain and gone, that's not going to be there next year? When's the last time you drove to Banff and said, take a good look, kids. This might not be there. No, mountains by their very nature seem unchanging. 
And yet when John came to prepare the way of the Lord for Jesus, this was the word on his lip, the words from Isaiah. Every mountain will be laid low. And every valley will be lifted up. And there are mountains in our lives that have got to be bulldozed. And there are valleys in your life, cracks that haven't been filled, valleys that have yet to be raised up. And would you let God, would you allow him to come in and say it's time that that valley disappears and a level path for my presence and my voice will be made in your own heart. When Brother Mark spoke that word in the spring, I knew it was for us. And I knew it was for us as a church that there were deeper places to go. It's, it's easy to get complacent. And it's, it's not a bad thing to say, look at how far we've come. But there's more. Oh, if I could get up every service and say there's more. There's more. There's higher and there's deeper. But don't be fooled into thinking that everything else can stay the same and we can have more of him. Because when this glass gets filled up, if it was half full of oil, but I wanted it to be full of water, something would have to give. Either I pour the oil out and make room for more water, or I satisfy myself by saying, well, I only have room for half a glass. I'm doing the best that, I mean, I've got the best that I possibly could. It's God that pours the water out. You can't gain it. You can't earn it. You can't get to a certain point where you force him to move. A lot of times all it takes is for you to simply empty the glass. Can I say today that I'm in no way speaking to anybody individually? I don't know where you are in your own personal hearts and lives, but I do know that God's got more for you. He's got more for this city. He's got more for our nation. Let's get uncomfortable with the things that shouldn't be there anymore. And let's understand our place in Christ and say, those things can't stand anymore because the Lord has put the words in my mouth. He's put His Spirit in my heart. And those things have to come down. Those things that we've just lived with those things that we've tolerated, those things that we've gone around and planted around, like an old tree that you just mowed around and you planted around. But maybe it's time for that tree to be uprooted and a new space, fresh ground be built. Can we allow God to do that in our hearts? Can we allow him to do it in our church? Can you allow him to do it in your schedule? Can you? <laughs> it was like, I'm not asking for your schedule. I don't need to see your phones today. I just want you to prepare your heart. But I want us to be honest with the Lord. You know what? There is now no condemnation of those that are in Christ Jesus. So you don't get here and say, oh, man, I knew there was more I needed to do. Know this. There's more for you. God has more to pour out in your life. He wants to give you more of himself. He wants to, to pour out more and more and more. He wants to take you deeper. 
But in order to do that, you may have to pour some of the glass out so that it can be filled up. You may have to tear down the old shed in the back. In Loon Lake, God has blessed us at that church in Loon Lake with land in every direction from the church so that when the time to build comes, we are ready to build. But you know what? We had to tear down some old shacks. We had to even tear down the old church. It was a sad moment because that old church meant something to us. But we can live on sentimentality and just, just say, well, that's just wonderful. Or we can say, sentimentality's not enough. I want what God's doing. I'm not going to live on the past. I'm living right now, and God is doing something wonderful. If I will let him come in as the vine dresser and prune away, there will be new branches and more fruit that come out of your life that you don't even know about. There are going to be new opportunities that you don't even know about. Doors open that you didn't even know there was a door there. It's been covered by something. But when you listen to the voice of God and tear that old thing away, there you are, there's a door. Sometimes, until there's a hole, nothing springs up to fill its place. Thank God he loves you enough to speak to your heart. I want us to be honest with God today. And I want him to be able to speak to you clearly. You know, I don't believe, once again, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. So the same methods of dealing with your heart, your mind, your emotions, that the world would have to go through, is not God's way all the time. He's got a different way. 